Hello, welcome to this latest podcast from the University of Brighton. I'm Richard Newman and my guest this week is Barbara Chamberlain from the School of Humanities. Barbara teaches across a range of subjects and is passionate about teaching. We talked about that, how comics are involved in her teaching and discussed her PhD, a fascinating subject all revolving around British witches. I started out as an um, English language teacher and a teacher trainer, and I, that, that still the teacher training element still occupies quite a lot of what I do, particularly since finding um, my research love, I suppose, which has been um, kind of image and text and comics. I've been becoming increasingly involved in other areas, so I do teach aspects of sociolinguistics. I teach aspects of sort of media language. I teach on the creative writing courses, and um, I... In 2014, I wrote a module, I think it was only about the fifth in the country at the time, there's now a lot more of them, that was specifically looking at the analysis of comics. And that's wonderful because that appeals to students from literature, language, linguistics, film screen studies, media backgrounds. And so it's, it's sort of fundamentally really interdisciplinary. So that's, that's what's motivating me to branch out a bit. And now I take any opportunity I can to bring those to other areas and other modules we'll focus on your research um in a, in a little bit as well it must be quite nice to teach on such a broad range then because yeah it's always different it is always different and the the teacher education is my background it's stuff that i know and i do a lot of teaching observations so i go into a lot of schools and observe teachers and that's really lovely because there's a sort of outreach element to it so I, I i go into schools and i know many of the people who work there because they're people who've come through the diploma before but also i i, I am a bit of a magpie ideas magpie and I knew things excite me. And so to have a range of teaching, and I love teaching, um, that sort of addresses different aspects of what I'm interested in, I, I, that I find particularly rewarding. But it is a hard question when people say, what do you teach? Because <laughs> I have a very mixed teaching load. Next year it's getting even broader. So it's, it's, it stays fresh and exciting. Yeah, how have you arrived at this point then? I mean, obviously your role at the university has evolved quite a lot leading up to your time at university. What's your background? I originally literature um, and then I moved down to Brighton on a bit of a whim, did a, a CELTA, which is a certificate in English language teaching, got a job decided to sort of develop myself further in that area so I did actually at the same time my master's and my diploma at the University of Brighton and then from there because I did quite well particularly in the teaching element of it they knew I could took on some work at the university and I've been saying yes to stuff ever since so actually I've got quite a long history with the university and it's 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 quite a wonderful thing to be able to work somewhere 20 minutes from where you live um, in an academic job that continues to sort of allow you to branch out. Yeah, you work on a lovely campus as well with the Downs in view. So that's yeah. very nice. Um, I read that you you come from a teaching background in yeah. general. I moved down to Brighton because, well, we were going to move up to Edinburgh at the time and I couldn't afford to get up there. So we decided to live by the sea. Um, where from? Where did you move from, from Cambridge. OK. And I've, yeah, I've been I've been teaching ever since and actually teaching. I'm quite I'm quite chatty. I'm quite sociable. I really like people. I grew up all over the world. Um, so actually working with people from a you know range of international backgrounds was I didn't know that I didn't mean to go into teaching, but it happened to be something that I really love. And actually, um, I've always had quite a high teaching 
load teaching role but I really like being in the classroom I really like working with students and I really love it um, when you kind of connect with someone and, and you introduce some something to someone that's new to them and they run away with it and you know exceed your expert that's just magic is that the more excites you most then about teaching that moment definitely I also really like diversity in the classroom I love it when arguments get going um, mm. but arguments that are constructive and not destructive I love people being in an environment particularly with comics because that's the sort of area where it's only very re it's becoming a discipline an area it's sort of doing what film studies did in the 80s and so for a lot of people it's quite new and was it last year I had a, I had a group of students put, in, put into my module because another module closed down and they all sat there day one with their arms crossed going, come on then, what can, you, what can you possibly tell me? And over the course of the module they loved it and that's not, I don't see that as a reflection on me necessarily, I see that as a reflection on just kind of me opening a door to say kind of, you know, look what's going on behind there and people find stuff that connects to them. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I love about teaching the fundamentally creative social discovery. How would you describe your, your sort of teaching style then? Because I think you're a, you're a PhD student at yeah. the moment as well, aren't you? Aren't you? So that must be quite useful actually. If you're looking at it from two angles, they must inform each other. Definitely. Um, how do I describe my teaching style? Um, really enthusiastic, <laughs> wear people down with it. I, I move around a lot. Um, I like to I like to find out what students are interested in and how to kind of pitch things best. So because learning takes place when when you when you can connect to it, not when it's really displaced and over there and and disconnected to to, to kind of you. Um, even when that's something that's really really new, find finding pathways in. But yeah, doing the PhD a lot later. I'm I'm quite a lot older than a lot of PhD students is interesting because in a way I'm blessed enough to have a job that many PhD students are doing the PhD to get so my my purposes for doing the PhD are I suppose are a lot more personal it's a sort of to see if I can to follow up on something that I'm really interested in that I genuinely love because otherwise I can't do it with everything else um, but sometimes it's it's a bit of a strange um setting to be um, an experienced teacher but an, um, a developing academic in terms of a research academic if you see what I mean I identify professionally I identify more as a teacher but increasingly that's becoming as a researcher as well which is lovely you yeah. know it's another it's another branch out and let's talk about that then because um, it's it's really interesting can you tell us what what you're researching <laughs> what your PhD is about Okay, um, a PhD has taken quite a lot of terms, as in um, I've recently, I'm in my third year, um, but I've recently moved institutions, I've moved scope, I've moved to a practice-based PhD. I'm looking to create, through collaboration, um, so collaborating with an artist, because I can't draw, an anthology of comics that all explore um, historical or folkloric British witches. In order to tell each story, I am walking the spaces that relate to those stories. So it's sort of bringing together comics, witches and the gothic and haunting and folk horror and those sorts of things, and psychogeography and walking, which um, on almost every level is experimental in terms of collaboration, in terms of topic, and in terms of the um, sort of stylistic mode that we're adopting to create the, the comics as well, which is paper cut. Um, but I'm working with an extremely talented artist who is 
just seemingly <laughs> so up for this and that's 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 a gift in itself so. and, uh, and who is that where's where you where's you find them do you know them already she's a uh, my oldest friend okay right um, <laughs> yes. calling on a favor I, I, well calling on a favor but also touching in on things that genuinely interest her in fact i was on a research week last week down in cornwall because that's where our first story takes place mm-hmm. so um yes walking woodlands and coasts of cornwall for research is um magic <laughs> well good use of phrasing there uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about um witches then where does where does the interest come from has it been something you've had for a while or um, you say you're exploring the topic i sort of got there by accident um i, I took quite a pragmatic approach to coming up with my PhD area. Um, and so I, w- I knew I wanted to look at comics and I knew I wanted to look at sort of gothic and monstrosity because that's all ever since I can remember. I you know, wanted to stay up late and watch horror movies and read scary stories under the, under the <laughs> duvet. So I was looking for gaps in the research and there's been um, quite a lot written about gender in comics is quite a sort of um, a continuing issue. Um, and there's been quite a lot written about... Autobiographical women in autobiographical comics and female creators, um, and about uh, female the construction of the female superhero, but not a lot on uh, the bad girls. And so it was really working out from there. And it was actually an image that came up at a conference I was at when I was writing my proposal. I thought, ah, that would be interesting. And so I, I sort of fell into it. But the more I look into it, the more interesting and relevant it still it is. And actually, she's an archetype that has never really gone away and continues to to reappear. Mm. Um, and particularly within the, the certain sort of um, renewed interests in areas. And one of them is folklore and folk horror. And the witch is a recurring sort of motif in there. And I've done some really interesting conferences around it. And there's actually some really interesting research in quite different ways going on. So actually looking at it in a creative way and looking at it in a place, in a way that very much connects these stories to the places that they come from is just, is yeah an interesting avenue to pursue. So it was lesser... I've been following this all my life and I'm going to do that. But more, I sort of, arrived, I, I, I found her. Um, and then from there it became, actually, no, this has got, this is this this is an area that's really got a lot of potential to it. So what kind of stories are we looking at? Can you give us a couple of examples of some of these? So you're looking just at British witches. Is that yes. in, So what sort of things are we looking at? Our first story is um, Joan White, which who was the fighting fairy woman of Bodmin. And... Um, no one actually knows if she really existed or not. She was arrested um, and for fighting. She was called the Fighting Fairy Woman because of her. She was a cunning woman, so had a local healing knowledge, etc. How far back was this one? This is. She was um, eighteen thirty-seven, I think okay. it is. But I'm terrible with dates. I don't quite. Eighteen hundreds works fine. Yeah, absolutely. So long after the sort of um, witchcraft persecutions were taking place, so she wasn't put into jail for witchcraft. She was put in for public fighting. She was very small and very feisty. Apparently, had bad toothache, which sent her into rages. And she died in Bodmin Jail, which was a, a sort of established as a reform jail. So it wasn't there to torture or anything like that, but it was there to work people hard. But it was kind of the tail end of the of that particular building um conditions weren't great she died of bronchial pneumonia apparently and then it all goes very very hazy but apparently so the stories go her bones were she was never buried and her bones were used by um mediums and spiritualists as as part of seances um so this was the sort of time of burgeoning spiritualism and actually the last the last witch 
to be persecuted in this country was actually a medium. And the Witchcraft Act in, in its... It had obviously changed over time, but actually wasn't fully repealed until the 1950s, which is bonkers if you think about it. Yeah. Um, so bones were used as by a medium. And then she apparently disappeared up and was used in a doctor's surgery. And then she was bought by the Museum of Witchcraft in Boscastle and her bones were displayed in a glass cabinet until in 1998 she was finally laid to rest and she's buried just up the path from... The museum, and so for me, this was a, a really interesting story. It doesn't tap into our traditional notions of of witches with pointy hats and warty noses, etc. Um, but it does tap into um, sort of ideas of, I suppose, exploitation um, of of the female body, and so that she's become our first story, and she's she's the first story because my collaborator um, works at Bodmin Jail. She's the heritage guide there, and so I wanted to choose to see if this is going to work. I wanted to choose something that situated near her other stories will pendle I'd like one to be connected I'd like them all to be connected to me somehow I'd like one of them to be Sussex based there's loads London based there's loads mm. possibly around Cambridge because that's where we met yeah. so there's a lot to choose from yeah I shall mean, we say there's a fascination around witches isn't there I mean it's gone back hundreds and hundreds of years from people genuinely being scared of them to be to be sort of they keep on being um sort of reinvented, don't they? And I now mean, it's uh, a very powerful feminist figure that she's been positively reclaimed as a lifestyle choice. Yes, and they're, 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 not, always the, they're not always the bad person. You look no. at Harry Potter, for example, and you've got Absolutely. plenty of... So it's just like... Uh, it's, it's a, it is a big fascination with witches yeah. in general. So they're having like a resurgence now. Yeah. Well, all, all, all times have their, have their favourite monsters and zombies have been around for a while. But the, the, the witch comes back in again and again because, I don't know, aspects of... And, and of course, witches can be male and female, um, but tends to be more associated with women, um, tends to tap into some of those ideas that we consider to be desirable, but also um, terrifying. Um, so it's a, it's an in, it's an appeal that endures, and yes, ch has, has changes shape significantly in times. And it's really interesting to see, you know, I, I speak to a lot of, for example, zine creators who are witches um it's 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 a it's an identity it's an ideology that people really connect to um i'm not a witch but i'm really interested in and i don't feel that i am i don't have a right to to be there because i think it's such a um a resonant archetype that actually it feeds into all sorts of things you don't have to be you know belong to a coven in order to identify with some of those kind of ideas the fact that a witch can now basically be a hero or a villain yeah does that sort of complicate the phd or does it actually make it even more interesting that makes it loads more interesting i bet it does yeah yeah, like, yeah well, that really <laughs> the question uh, let's go back to your um because you've touched on it several times we'll talk about your interesting comics how far does that go back how much of it, how big is this for you i mean you also we'll talk about graphic brighton in a moment yeah. as well oh i love them um anything in, in particular as well any kind of genre or well that's horror um <laughs> But also, I, what I, I love so many things about comics, but um, their multifaceted application and their use everywhere. Uh, our oldest, I think, our oldest forms of storytelling, the captured storytelling, are comics. Um, you know, scratchings on cave walls, um, stained glass windows, um, marginalia in in, bi in illustrated Bibles, um, the Bayo tapestry. Yes, there are the arguments around those, but they can all be considered sort of forms of proto comics. Memory is essentially 
you know, we, we, we don't remember things as fluid, complete stories. We remember fragments. Comics are fragmented narratives. They're used in education. They're used in medicine. They're used in architecture. They're used in law. There are burgeoning areas coming up everywhere and so it's so interdisciplinary um, I go to comics conferences and people are there from all sorts of different backgrounds using them in so many different ways and yeah I, I read Tintin and Asterix and the, I was a, you know a badge wearing Beano club member and it, I, I did have the Nasha badge with the wobbly eyes which made it super cool but Actually, I came to it. I sort of kind of forgot about it for years until I did my MA dissertation, which was looking at the way grammar is communicated visually in course books. And one of those is through comics. And so I read this guy called Scott McLeod, who in the 90s wrote, you know, it's one of one of the many cited but early sort of texts on comics scholarship. And so I kind of came to comics again, but via a slightly more academic means and I wrote the module because I, because there wasn't anything else. I think somebody included Mouse by Arch Spiegelman, um, amazing Pulitzer Prize winning story of his father's experience in the, um, during the Holocaust. But yeah, I, I, it is literature, it is art, it is storytelling. It can be your own stories, you can tell other people's stories. Um, it's, it's fundamentally collaborative and that's how I kind of justify it in terms of the PhD because not often is it a, is it a solo endeavor um and they're just yeah the, the the vibrancy and particularly what's going on in brighton i mean there's just so much around it continues to interest me um, i love stories so both in a storytelling mode but also in a kind of in a slightly more academic mode yeah by saying you came back to it through um sort of an academic way do you did that sort of reinvigorate i guess what you were look, looking at it from a a more of a hobby and and actually something that you then well, it wasn't you... it wasn't immediate okay. I there was a long gap between doing my MA and because I you know I was I was still an English language teacher then I did lots of teacher training so that was there was probably a sort of 12 year gap mm. between me redoing that dissertation doing my MA doing the dissertation reading loads of comics um, graphic novels. I mean, I call everything comics, but you know the the the, the book length standalone stories. Uh, you know, and if you want to gentrify it a bit, it might be a graphic novel. But um, so I read a lot, and it just continue. You know that that sort of feeling of this should have more of a place in literature curricula, in uh, you know sort of even English language and linguistics, looking at the kind of visualisation of, of, of communication, that relationship between image and text can be used in so many different ways. Um, and it's it's developed loads since I've become involved in it, but it, it's it's still it, it's still forming. And that's so it's a really interesting time academically to be involved in that. And I, if you'd told me I would be doing a creative based PhD on comics and witches and walking, I've never ever would have believed you. I'm still not quite sure how I got here, but uh, yeah. We should also talk about Graphic Brighton as well, because yeah. you are a co-curator of that. Can you tell us about that symposium? Yeah, um, I mean that's been running since 2014. It's the the, the sort of driver behind it is um, Alex Fitch. Um, who works in the Cockcroft building. Um, he is he's amazing, knows so many people, knows so has an almost encyclopedic knowledge of, of comics and people involved in it. Runs um, a podcast on Resonance FM called Panel Borders, which is an interview. So he had a lot of connections anyway. And I suppose 
because I was um, teaching in humanities, I could sort of bring that side to it. And we, it every year it's it's employed a different theme. So first year it was about kind of local artists. Second year it was um, God, I have to sort of remember them now. It was. Um, conflict and resolution we had some fantastic speakers that year we've had war we've had music this year was comics and research um and it started out as a day and trying to blend um sort of creator-based talks with something that's um perhaps workshops that's a bit more interactive but bring it in more recent years there's we've brought in the academic strand to it as well so whether it's merged over two days or two separate days so having a a creator-based day and an academic day um but that's been a really interesting way of bringing um of, of choosing a theme and looking at how much you can do within a particular theme and we've had i mean we've had chris riddell he was in our first year um in our second year we had um dave mckean um who illustrated he's one of my favorite graphic artists but you know arkham asylum did lots of did a lot of the um sandman covers for neil gaiman phenomenal We've had um, Brian Talbot, who did the Gronville series and um, Ted One Bad Rat and the Luther Arkwright. So so in British terms, really quite, really, really quite interesting speakers. And it's nice to bring the students in as well. So students I teach quite often, um, we try and bring those in, bring students in to help out on the day. Um, I've even had my odd son, my godson godson um but come in and help who's who was 17 at the time but really interested in comics and came in to help at the help on the day to so he could sort of sit in on one or two of the talks and so it's also a way of encouraging interest and connection between this is not just something that's going on in the classroom this is something that's you know, that's vibrant and exciting and happening on your doorstep mm. were we talking about um comics and how that is brought into um how students are learning do you think there's a diff- if you were to put that in 10 years ago would there be a difference because i think from my from my point of view i am also someone who grew up reading i read tintin all the time and it's still very visible in my house yeah. but i probably didn't read a lot more comics than that but then because of how popular cultures were it's just it's yeah. big, big, stopped becoming a it's got a much wider spread now, hasn't it? Mainly, be- I guess, mainly because of the success of some films. But then yeah. people are picking up the original comics now. So are students more receptive to that? You did say there are some people that were just sat there at first with their arms crossed, but probably fewer of them than but there would that, have been. I mean, they because that what that hadn't been their their number yeah, one course. choice. Uh, yes, but I actually think that's less. To, I mean, yes, that has things to do with you know, th- you know, I don't know the Marvel film tie-ins and the success of those. Um, but also the, I suppose, the spread and almost the democratisation of, of the field, because there are, for example, autobiographical comics are a, a, not necessarily a huge money spinner. They're not. They tend to be smaller publishers. They tend to be um, uh, solo produced, so people will write and draw their own work. But they're capturing a range of voices and stories that kind of otherwise wouldn't necessarily be heard so people may not have you know writing something down in 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 um, full prose versus thinking about how you're what you what you show the perspective you show it from it's just a different means of doing it um and i you know i know a lot of creators that have said i couldn't have done it in another medium this this worked for me and it doesn't have to be 
beautifully drawn. It can be sort of some of the most beautiful comics I know are very, very minimal. Mm. Um, and actually what can be conveyed with a few strokes of the of a pen is as powerful as what can be, you know, constructed in a, you know, three-act play or, you know, really rich novel, for example. So it's it's just sort of opening up another way of telling those stories. And as as I said, I think it's quite democratic. You can publish you can you can publish online, you can, you know, create your own zines and give them away at comics fairs. Um swap them with other people. There's a there, you know, it's from what I understand, sadly, it's not a it's not a it's not a career that's gonna make you um rich and famous, um, but it is one that is creatively satisfying for a lot of people. I think I could talk about this for a very long time. Um, but, um, yeah, no, shut me up. <laughs> uh, and we end every podcast with five questions oh, or yeah, talking points away from, from your work. Uh, so the first one would be, what advice would you give to your younger self? It would probably be something practical, like eat less, move more. Um, <laughs> but I don't think I would advise myself to have done the PhD earlier because I, you know, I, I had my son when I was 30. So my 20s were about sort of finding myself, sorting myself out. 30s were quite developmental and I wouldn't want to do a PhD when my son was so young. So, uh, yeah, mine would be sort of more practical, practical elements. Can you pick a favourite place in Sussex? I'm a coastal walker. And I've actually walked from just past Dungeness all the way round to North Devon in Clovelly. And so it's the coast always. And I think it would probably be Shoreham Beach simply because that's where my son was. Um, we didn't, he wasn't baptised or he was dunked in the water there. Mm. And whenever we go for a sea swim from where I am, that's, that's, that's where we go. And the swim in the sea is lovely. Yeah, very nice. Uh, what are you currently reading, watching and or listening to? Okay. I've always got several books on the go. Um, at the moment, I'm reading a book. So I've normally got an academic book, a couple of comics, and uh, a For Pleasure. The For Pleasure one is actually a history of Salem witchcraft trials. Hmm. Um, the academic one is one called Gothic Britain, which is looking at sort of gothic and landscape, funnily enough. Um, and then there's multiple there's multiple comics. Watching, um, I am a pop culture junkie. I think you can find out an awful lot from what's going on popular culture, and I'm... I'm watching Stranger Things with my son and oh loving it. God, it's so good. <laughs> I've only got so two good. more left, and then it's gonna. And when it's gone, you just it, it goes. You can. You, it's so easy just to get through that. Oh, it's just brilliant. It's just perfect TV. That. So brilliant. So I good. Love it so much. Okay. <laughs> Could you describe your perfect weekend? There would probably be walking. There would probably be um, a sea swim at the end of it. Uh, there would be friends there. My my son would be there. Um, where that was, I mean, if I was talking fantasy, it would be somewhere in Cornwall, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, friends, kids, um, outside spaces, a dip in the sea, and a really cu- a couple of pints of really good cider at the end of it. Mm, nice. Um, and if you can invite three people to dinner, past or present. Who would they be and why? I do realise that's actually an impossible question. It should be reframed as, have you ever heard of Judy Chicago's um, 39 Women? No. She, she did this um, sort of feminist performance piece where what 39 women from history would she invite and why? Right. And my friend Jackie did a similar one for Women's Day, International Women's Day, a couple of years ago, because I find it impossible. <laughs> it's quite hard. It is really hard. So I figured I want some good storytellers around because you kind of want to eat, drink, be merry. Mm. And I've gone a bit fangirl, I'm afraid. And I've gone Neil Gaiman, uh, Tom Waits 
and because I love Tom Waits, um, but in order to sort of balance it up gender, because I, I could have chosen more male writers and that would have been bad, I think I probably would have had the ghost of Joan White, the story I was telling about earlier, because I'd really quite like to know what happened to her bones. Thanks so much to Barbara for her time. That's about it for this week's episode, but to make sure you don't miss the next one, you can subscribe via whichever podcast app you prefer. Just search University of Brighton, and you can also listen there to previous episodes. Thanks for listening.